Hello and welcome to a special Christmas Day bonus pod from 10 by 9 I'm Paul Dorn and on December 20th in the Black Box in Belfast we had our big Christmas night and it was amazing. We had two Santas, both of them, the real one obviously, and nine amazing true stories. And there's one of them on this podcast for you. Just before we hear it, I'd like to say a big thank you to all of you for listening over this past year. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and New Year, or whatever holiday you might be celebrating. 2023 has had its challenges. Let's hope 2024 keeps you well and happy. And now, on to our story. Here's first-timer Heather Carey. Growing up on a hill farm at the foot of Sleeve Gallion was idyllic in many ways. My father was the shepherd, so we knew every path over that mountain as well as every sheep. The traditional Irish song Sleeve Gallion Braes, with its mountains and valleys so gay and flowers blooming around its braes, summed up my sentiments of life there, except for the two weeks running up to Christmas, when turkeyitis took over my mother and our home. Truthfully, the first symptoms started in September when the 300 turkeys had to be collected off the Ulster bus from Coleraine. (laughs) It stopped outside Moneymore Post Office. I'm not sure if the passengers realised that the three large cardboard boxes with air holes contained 300 little day-old chirping turkeys. From there, they were put in the back seat of the car, driven up the Tunnelgee Road to our hill farm, and placed under a very large five-foot diameter gas heater hanging from the rafters of the shed. Beneath it was a large circle of hardboard, um, the centre of which was filled deep with sawdust. The 300 turkeys were placed in their warm nest with feeders of turkey starter food and drinkers of water. Then started the the 72-hour vigil led by my mother, the turkey farmer, and the rest of us on the rota. Night and day, we sat there with the aim to prevent crowding, which caused smothering and potentially multiple deaths. This crowding was caused by the visit of a cat or a mouse or a rat or the dog or just the heat going off. And so the turkey journey started. My mother was constantly found with those turkeys, feeding, watering, heating, moving them to bigger sheds and eventually to the big black hut It was recycled some 50 years earlier from the American army camp in Cookstown. When the turkeys got their feathers, you could find my mother on a regular basis walking them around the rye field uh, where they would happily peck at and eat grass or other field life. From midsummer each year, my mother started getting orders, which were noted in her red reporter's type notebook. Hen, 15 pounds, PJ O'Neill to be collected on the 23rd December, oven ready. Rooster, 20 pounds, Ray's home economics teacher, to be collected on the 23rd December, oven ready. Rooster, 24 pounds, Henry Allen, to be collected on Christmas Eve, New York dressed, that's a fancy way to say just plucked. As my mother paced the kitchen tiles and leafed through her notebook, she was often heard saying, I'm praying that these turkeys' orders match my turkeys. And so the Christmas madness started. There were no Christmas markets, Christmas shopping trips to Belfast, pantomime visits or special candlelit carl services for the turkey farm family. 
Instead, the turkey pluckers just turned up and took their pews in the turkey plucking shed. Pews were straw bales around the shed. Turkeys were hanging from the rafters down the centre. There were pluckers and finishers. Pluckers stood and removed the bulk of the feathers. Finishers sat with a big turkey on their knee, removing pen feathers and hard-to-reach feathers. My brother was the chief turkey catcher and executioner. He liked to tell short stories as he worked. Then there was Mick and Mary Bella Corgan. Mick knotted ropes into dolls, weighed and hung up the turkeys. Mary Bella, a finisher, would talk for Ireland and give a daily report on births, deaths, wakes and weddings with a warm turkey on her knee. Sam McGarvey also plucked, but he plucked faster if he had a few drinks when he went home for his tea. <laughs> Uncle Sammy, he was a finisher, and he recited martial poems like I'm living in Drumlister and I'm clabber to the knee. <laughs> Willie Spears was a plucker. He was the local medicine man who gathered herbs and berries all summer and he produced bottles of medicine for arthritis, heart complaints and other ailments for anyone brave enough to try them. My brother tried out the arthritis bottle on one of his sheepdogs. <laughs> it, was, it was back jumping over the mountain wall after the medical trial was completed. And my mother, she was too scared to try the medicine herself. She had serious doubts about the hygiene of Willie's preparation space. <laughs> but that didn't stop her collecting glass lemonade bottles for him to store his potions in. Now, Willie was also known as one of the three wise men from the East, Pat McBride and Pat Ryan being the other two. They cut turf together on Sleeve Gallion each summer and righted the wrongs of the world as they worked. What wasn't discussed on the moss banks wasn't news, were they? Joe Carey was a finisher and a curiosity for the other pluckers with his southern accent. He struggled to keep up with the sleeve galleon brogue. Tony McGuckin was a plucker and the local mimic, so all the neighbours and politicians got a run as he entertained knee-deep in feathers. My sisters and I were in the night telephone and food rota. We answered the phone, took orders and made the tea. Sandwiches and buns for the pluckers. They took a break about nine o'clock and carried on the jokes, stories and crack while the kettle whistled on the Rayburn stove. And as they left to go back to their pews, they left a trail of feathers from the table to the back door. Each night, 40 to 50 turkeys were plucked until they were finished. They would be weighed and labelled with brown cardboard tie on luggage labels, then marked either hen or rooster. They would be hung in the turf house to be either collected or oven readied. Most were oven readied. Mary Bella and Mum started oven readying three or four days before Christmas. You knew this was happening when you saw a cat run up, up the yard with a heart or gizzard hanging out the corner of its mouth. So the madness continued. 300 turkeys to be oven readied, 300 turkeys to be collected, 300 conversations to be had, 300 cups of tea, 300 gifts to be exchanged between old friends and customers. So flowed the Quality Street, Fox's Biscuits, Highland Shortbread, tins of tea and tips for my nephews carrying turkeys and directing traffic. The last turkey was collected on Christmas Eve at lunchtime and my mum quickly changed her clothes and rushed in Cookstown to buy the rest of Christmas before 5.30pm or the shops closing. Cahoon's jewellers for presents for us, the three girls, 
and Eagleson's hardware for my two brothers. Then it was back home to make stuffing for the three turkeys to be cooked next morning. One for Frank and Mick Cargan, our farmhands. One for Mary Ann, Cassie Parr, elderly neighbours, and one for ourselves. Today, as I reflect on turkey plucking, I hear my mother saying, my turkey days are over when mid-antrum turkeys refused orders of under a thousand birds. However, I remember a mother who prayed over every turkey and home they went to. The turkeys put clothes on our backs and paid for Christmas. Now I see those turkey feathers, prayers and stories fluttered and settled in the hearts of many, way beyond the foothills of Sleeve Gallion. Oh, Heather, thank you so much. That was wonderful, really wonderful. What a what a debut, fantastic. And you did not mess up Feather Plucker once. <laughs> God knows we all wanted you to. <laughs> but you were brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much.